News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110, as always, is the telephone number to get in on the show. And guys, make sure you reach out to me on X or follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. So we've got a lot of different things that we're going to get into tonight. I've got an interview with Heath Sessions. He is the South Carolina State Rep out of York County. He really goes after the Panthers pretty good, and especially David Tepper, I should say. goes after him pretty good about the whole Rock Hill, York County situation. So we're going to talk to him about that, as well as CMS about to lose a ton of money in federal funding, $190 million worth. So we're going to get into that. And really what's going on with all of that, like what, what's truly happening with that and why it's happening, and what's going to be the end result. And then also I'm going to give you guys an update on Maggie because things, you know, look, things are rather tenuous at this particular moment. So we'll get into that later as well. But right now I want to start off with the debate. I didn't get into the District 8 debate that took place Wednesday night right here on WBT, which you can go to WBT.com and listen to it. I didn't get into it last night because the Panthers announced who their new head coach was, introduced him to the entire world, Dave Canal. So we spent a lot of time on that because, like it or not, even if you're not a sports fan, the Panthers and the NFL rule this country and this city. It's just a fact. I mean, it truly is. But I want to get into the debate because I didn't really get it, like I said, get a chance to get into it last night. So let's get into some of it right now. So first of all about the debate. It was the perfect venue. You know, it's sort of in the middle of the district. And look, I know it's a long drive from Charlotte, but you know what? To have it anywhere else would have been an even longer drive for people at the other end of the spectrum, at the other end of the district and other areas. So I thought it was a perfect venue. Like the seats, the stage, the sound system, everything was absolutely perfect with that venue. And so I will say that I just want to start off by saying, you know, Winget, they did a great job. It was a perfect place as well as our very own Jeff Atkinson, who you hear in the newsroom. He's the one who helped coordinate all that. So major thanks to Jeff Atkinson and Winget for allowing us to put that on there. Now, let's get into a couple of the other things. Early in the process, Mark Garrison asked of Chris Maples about the drinking and peeing incident that took place over there last weekend in, uh, in Rockingham. And a couple of people yelled out from the crowd, like, I don't understand why people yell out from the crowd. What makes you think it's okay to yell from a crowd when it's about something you have nothing to do with and know nothing about? Why, what, I, in my brain, never in a million years would I do something like that. Whether it's at a comedy show and you want to heckle and bark at the person on stage. I, like, I don't understand the people who do that. They think it's their God-given right, or let me take that back. They think it's their God-given duty to have to do something like that. Let me yell at the comedian. Hey, let me yell at the politician on stage. Like, why would you do that? Like, you, you are now trying to be bigger than what's actually going on. So I'm glad Bo on the second time said, all right, look, this is our gig. It's the candidates and it's the professional reporters and interviewers doing this, not you sitting in the crowd. And I, I will never understand when people do that. I, honestly, when people do that, I think you're a clown. 
I, I do. I think you're part of a clown show. It's either you have no scruples on, on how to deal and handle and be in society because I'm like, who does that? Why would you do that? And it wasn't like at the end of the day, it wasn't that important. Was it important? Yes. But on a scale of one to 10, it sure as hell wasn't a 10 of importance to get an answer like that from Chris Maples where you're screaming out from the audience. Like who does that? Did you really find it that important to have to do that? You found that topic so insanely, incredibly important that you had to yell out from the audience. I, I, I just, I don't understand that. Like people like that have, to me, have no self-awareness. To me, those are the same people that walk through the grocery store or a bank on a phone conversation while having their phone on speaker. Like that's who that is to me. That's the type of people that do that. Having your phone on speaker so everyone has to hear your phone conversation is the same type of person that wants to yell out at a debate or at a comedy show or whatever. I, I just, I will never, ever, ever understand that. Don Brown. Don Brown got the most applause and the loudest applause of everyone the entire night. Granted, he gave some really, really good answers. He gave some really passionate answers, yelling into the microphone multiple times. But let's not kid ourselves also. Why did Don Brown get the most applause and the loudest applause? Because he also brought the most people. How do you know that, Brett? Well, you know, when they were introducing everyone on stage, this is Mark Harris, this is Alan Balcom. They got to Don Brown. He by far got the loudest cheer, and we haven't even done anything yet. So he had by far the most supporters, which made it seem like he was getting the most applause from the, from the crowd, which he got plenty of applause. Don't, I mean, no, make no mistake about that. But at the same point, a lot of it was like a laugh track, like where, where you know, or like at a uh, talk show, like say David Letterman, they actually put up a sign and flash a sign that says, now's the time to clap. It's called the applause sign. It was almost like the same thing. I mean, so yes, was there applause? And did he give some answers and a lot of people agreed with? Yes. But make no mistake, don't kid yourselves. He also had the most people there, the most supporters there, or at least the most vocal supporters. Let me put it th to you that way. Alan Balkum. The farmer, who's been, whose family has been in Union County, well, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight generations. Like, it's a, been a very long time. He's a farmer. Extremely nice man. It's the first time I've had a chance to actually talk to Alan Balkum. First time I've had the opportunity to meet Alan Balkum, and he could not have been nicer. You know, like, he gave some really good answers. You know, he had the line of the night about being, being the most conservative because he's been having the same pair of shoes for 47 years, and he just gets the souls redone. And it was it was great. It was a great show and a great sign, and it was a great line. And so, and like I said, this was all off the top of his head. You know, he didn't know what we were going to ask, and it was, it was a brilliant answer. So, but just a super, super nice man. And I thought he handled my question about being, you know, aged. Like he's in, I think he's 72 years old, give or take. I think 72, 73, but I think he's 72 about is age, should age be a concern or a worry considering like it is with Joe Biden? And he gave a really good answer. He's like, there's a difference between Joe Biden and Donald Trump and they're very similar, very close to the same age. He said, it's all about the mind, not the age. And I thought that was a really good answer. So good for Alan Balkan. But I like, even if he doesn't win, whether he wins or loses, I, I, I will tell you this. I, I like Alan Balkan, the man. And apparently from everything that I've been told, all of Union County likes Alan Balkan, the man. He owns the most land in Union County. 
than anybody else in Union County. Like, from what I've been told, that's an actual fact. And he just could not be nicer. And so I, I really appreciate meeting Alan Balcom. All six candidates were very polite, extremely polite. They were cordial. Yes, did they snip and snap back at each other? Yes, but you know what they did? They waited until each person was finished talking, unlike the presidential debates where you had four and five people yelling at each other at the exact same time on the microphone, which is just un, it's impossible to listen to. And the fact that each candidate waited, even if they were getting skewered by another candidate, they waited until that candidate was done, and then they responded. And that is the exact same way a debate should be held. Not screaming and yelling. Like, we weren't sure. We didn't know if we were going to have three or four candidates yelling at each other or what was going to happen. Like, we didn't know. And I thought that the candidates were extremely nice and extremely thoughtful on the way they did things. And so that, that just goes to the common courtesy that they had. You, I may not like what you're saying or, you know, putting myself in their shoes, but I'm just going to give you the chance to say what you got to say. And then I'm going to have my rebuttal and maybe go after you. There's a political insider in North Carolina that's very prominent. And talking to this person the other day, his, I, I asked him, I said, what's your view of the debate? Like, how did you think it went? What did you think of the answers? Who did well? Who didn't do well? Whatever. And I'm not going to get into like who he thought the winners and the losers were or anything like that. But he did say something that I thought was interesting. He said, Lee Brown was the only person who didn't mess up an answer. And I thought that's a very interesting take. And I think that he's right. Lee Brown didn't have any bad answers. She didn't step in it. A couple other people may have stepped in it here or there. But she did not step in it. And every answer that she gave was a good answer. And some drew applause and others, you know, other candidates had to respond to her on certain things. But as this major political insider said, she's the only one on stage who didn't give a bad answer. But anyways, that's just some of my thoughts about that particular night. Um, I will tell you this next week, as of right now, I'm scheduled uh, the, the week of Valentine's day, like not this upcoming week, but next week, I'm scheduled to have two of the candidates in studio with me for a full hour. I'm not going to say who yet, just because, you know, I got to make sure that it still happens. But as of right now, I've got two commitments from two candidates to come in studio for an hour each on back to back days. So make sure you, that Valentine's day, the 14th, and then the very next day, the 15th. So we'll keep you apprised of that. Make sure I'll let you know if everything's, anything's going to change. And then next week, I'll let you know who it's going to be. But that, those are my two cents on the debate. And just wanted to give you guys a thought on that. Because, like I said, I was in the middle of it. And you're watching it in real time. And you may miss some things. And then you go back and listen to it. And you go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a good representation of what that district is. I thought we asked really good questions. And I thought that the audience members, minus the early beginning when they were yelling out, they were very engaged, and I thought they were very attentive and hanging on every word of what the candidates were saying. So when we come back, let's get into what Heath Sessions has to say about David Tepper. Heath Sessions is a South Carolina state representative out of York County. I had him on the show last night, and coming up next is part two of our conversation, and this focuses solely on the York County Rock Hill Panthers situation because he was directly involved in all of that. And you don't want to miss what he has to say about David Tepper. When, so all that's coming up next when we return. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.
News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday night. So coming up now is part two of my interview with South Carolina State Representative Heath Sessions. He represents York County. And so we're talking to him tonight about David Tepper because Heath Sessions, you know, York County, I was just curious. It's like, hey, it was almost like a throwaway question. It's like, hey, you know, how much do you know about what happened between David Tepper and York County and Rock Hill and all that mess down there concerning, you know, right, that exit right off of I-77? Well, it turns out he's actually involved quite a bit. So, you know what? You're definitely going to want to hear what he has to think about David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers. So here's part two of my interview with South Carolina State Rep Heath Sessions. So, Heath, what was your entire take on the whole Carolina Panthers, David Tepper, Rock Hill, York County situation? Like, how closely involved were you in any of that? Man, you know, that that uh, that site is literally down the street from my house. So, um, you know, I was excited when it was announced uh, for Rock Hill. You know, um, we've always sort of been a veteran community of Charlotte, and I thought that really sort of put us on the map. You know, it was going to bring in an NFL franchise corporate headquarters. It was going to be a great entertainment district. Um, but then it all seemed to unravel. Actually, my company cleared that site for the general contractor. So I'm intimately, um, you know, I know that site. I know that ground. And, you know, it's proximity to the interstate. Um, but, you know, as far as David Tepper and his team uh, deciding to pull out of Rock Hill, it was baffling to me. Um, for someone to invest that much money, time and effort, and then just to back away at the last minute, you know, was puzzling. So it obviously didn't sit well with with Rock Hill and, and York County at large. Uh, the guy, David Tepper, personally is not, not a popular guy. It's not a name that you uh, throw around the city of Rock Hill, um, you know, uh, if you want to get liked. But, um, man, I don't know. I, I really don't understand his moves. Um so, I mean, good luck to him, but uh, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know if that was a personal thing. I don't know if he was personally insulted by somebody. I don't know if it was a, a financial decision, but um, obviously I don't agree with it. But, uh, but Rock Hill will be fine. We're going to uh, find suitable use for that, for that site and um, you know, just turn the page on, on that chapter with David Tepper. Talking with South Carolina State Representative out of York County, he's Sessions. Do you think York County or Rock Hill had any blame in any of this? Like, did any of the responsibility fall on their shoulders? I don't. I thought we sort of rolled out the red carpet for, for the Carolina Panthers. Um, I, you know, maybe we'll learn the real reason why he decided to, uh, to abandon the site. Um, but it almost sounds like something personal, you know? And, and I can't speak to that. I don't know what happened. Um, I wasn't I wasn't elected then, so I wasn't in those conversations. But it, it definitely seemed like there was something personal going on. As far as you know, he didn't like something he heard, and uh, you know, made an emotional decision. Well, I do think the fact that he didn't receive a single payment for over a year did play a part of it. Yeah, and. You know, all along, I have been told post-mortem that, that Tepper had wanted the, 
whether it's the Rock Hill or the York County or the South Carolina taxpayer, to go on the hook um, for the bonds. And, you know, Rock Hill City government and the state, the state officials told them that would never happen. So I don't know where the miscommunication occurred, but uh, obviously he wasn't listening when he was told the first few times. And when it came down where the rubber hits the road, he, you know, South Carolina did what was right. You know, our elected official said, no, there's no way that the taxpayer is going to go on the hook for this. So uh, I guess it didn't go his way. I guess maybe he always assumed that he was going to be able to push around, you know, elected officials, and he found out otherwise. Talking with South Carolina State Representative Heath Sessions out of York County, I'm curious, after all this has been said and done, do you still go to Carolina Panther games? I do not. I don't even go to the, uh, the any of the soccer games either. Um, but you know, looking at the team right now, they've they've got uh, they've got some rebuilding to do. Um, they didn't really perform well uh, this year. Hopefully, they'll get better next year. But uh, no, I don't I don't support the franchise. So that's my interview with South Carolina State Representative Heath Sessions. He serves out of York County. Some very, very interesting things that he had to say about David Tepper for sure. And like, there are a lot of people who still have not forgiven David Tepper about it. And I will say, the, I think the biggest mistake that he made was not immediately paying off all the contractors. You want to fight with York County and Rock Hill? So be it. But to try and go against the mom-and-pop businesses, that was a bad idea and a major PR hit. All right, when we come back, we're going to get into some of the things concerning CMS and really good things that actually happened down at Weddington High School that's really, really cool. So we we don't talk enough about good news. This was really, really good news involving a school resource officer. So we'll get into that when we return. But right now, let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on Breaking with Brett Jensen on this Friday night. So a couple more segments before we send you off into the weekend. 704-570-1110, as always, is the telephone number to get in on the show. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. And dang it, I can't believe I said Twitter. I, I told myself I wasn't going to say Twitter anymore. I was just going to call it X out of respect to Elon Musk. And so, guys, let's try that again. So make sure you follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. So I want to talk to you now during this segment about a couple of school things, one involving CMS, one involving the Union County schools. And one of them is a really, really good story and an uplifting story. And the other one, eh, maybe not so much, not not greatly bad or anything, but I mean, it might be very bad for quite a few people, but uh, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. So what you're going to hear now is a story from Queen City News and Casey Jones, who did a whole thing about the $190 million in federal funding that CMS is going to lose. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that they didn't spend it and they have to give back $190 million. Out of the $190 million, I think they spent roughly around 90% or so, give or take. But so whatever they don't spend does go back to the federal government. But the problem is this was always going to be a short-term budget, like always short-term. They said, look, the federal government, we're going to give you some money for like elementary and secondary schools, hence the term term ESSER. 
And so we're going to give you this funding because of all the stuff that happened during COVID. And we're going to try and help you get back up to speed with learning and everything else. But you need to know you're not going to keep getting this funding. It's going to go away. And it is now going away. And so what does that mean for CMS? Well, according to CMS, I should say, approximately $60 million of that is used for like educators and stuff like that in terms of programs and stuff like tutoring and teachers and, you know, helpers and stuff like that. Things to help like get more people into the classroom to help teach these kids in a lot of different various ways. Well, that's all going away. And so you're going to hear the report now from Casey Jones talking about that. And she interviews a couple of people about this particular situation. And she explains it in pretty good detail. So we're going to talk about it after you hear this report. Well, for the first time, teachers are weighing in on what a $190 million loss could mean for them. CMS leaders say they do anticipate cutting positions when the money stops next week. Queen City News reporter Casey Jones live from Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools tonight in the headquarters on Stewart Andrew Boulevard. And Casey, what did you learn? Well, in the building behind me, the finance team has been crunching the numbers, trying to avoid laying people off as the district faces a $190 million funding gap. Now, teachers we spoke to say they were expecting this to happen, but they want the district to search for additional funding before cutting jobs. Charlotte-Mecklenburg school leaders are working to keep as many staff as possible when federal pandemic funding ends this year. In an email to staff, CMS Superintendent Dr. Crystal Hill says the district will lose $190 million in elementary and secondary school emergency relief with $60 million of that money directly tied to people. The email says the district is expecting a decrease in funded positions and will be realigning roles and responsibilities, which has some staff concerned. The key thing to keep in mind is our student experiences. How are our student experiences going to be affected when we move or shift people or, or, or think that resources need to be realigned? Congress allocated ESSER funds in 2020 to cover expenses related to COVID. Federal authorities declared the end of the pandemic in 2023 and districts across the nation lost that funding. In the letter, Dr. Hill says the team is working to keep students first and deliver core student experiences. Amanda Thompson, president of Charlotte Mecklenburg Association of Educators, says students and staff are still dealing with pandemic problems. We know that gap, that wound is still there and still is still ongoing. So the question is, um, where now, like who's going to pick up the bill? And I think that we know that our state government has money and reserves to pick up that bill. So then why are they not stepping up to take care of the village? A recent survey from Education Week revealed that 48% of administrators plan to use state funds to cover outstanding expenses. More than a third say they plan to rely on local tax revenue and Title I funds. Thompson says it's time for local and state leaders to step up to keep students and staff on track. Right now we have budget seasons and we have to understand that our students cannot suffer because of a decision that was made in a vacuum. We know what our kids need and we have to be there to stand in the gap and to close those gaps. And it has to be a holistic community support. There are obviously still a lot of questions about what this funding loss means to students and staff. 
Although CMS Superintendent Dr. Hill agreed to speak with us today, her communications team has punted that interview until Tuesday when we're told she will answer our questions on this. The Board of Education is also getting a presentation of the budget from the Finance Department on Monday, so we will have a better idea of the impact when all of that happens. Reporting live from South Charlotte, Casey Jones, Queen City News. So a couple of things to understand here. CMS, look, everyone knows how harsh I am on CMS sometimes, but CMS didn't do anything wrong. This is just the federal government saying, hey, we are pulling back. We are not going to, you know, we're not giving you any more money for COVID. It's been, you know, a couple of years now. You're like, you're on your own. You got to stand on your own two feet. But here's the problem. You heard the woman, the representative from the local, from the teachers club, the state teachers club, NCAE. It's not a union or anything. So it's just a little club. And I think what, 6 7% of all teachers in North Carolina are actually a part of it, so it's very small. They think they have a lot of power. They generally don't. But, you know, she was quoted in the story saying the state needs to step up with all this federal, with all this funding. The odds of that happening, whether it's Republican or Democrat, are 0.0. Not happening. That is not going to happen. And so you need to get, like, your head out of the clouds and start thinking, okay, what can be done? And CMS is going to try and keep as many people as possible to make sure these education programs continue. As a matter of fact, I know they're doing the budget thing on Monday afternoon at four o'clock. They're going to go over it. That'll probably take a couple of hours. And then hopefully Dr. Crystal Hill, the superintendent, will speak to the media about their plans on how, like, how can you keep all these extra tutors? How can you keep this program? How can you keep that program? How can you keep all these extra people trying to educate the children? So, We'll see how that goes. But that woman is like, if she honestly thinks Raleigh's going to do that, like then I I, I don't know what to tell her. Like I, I then I, I I got news for you. There aren't anything as unicorns either, because that is a unicorn type idea. The odds of that ever happening are zero point zero, no matter who is in charge up in Raleigh. So there'll be more to come about this on Monday for sure and Tuesday morning as well. All right, so now. On to the good news. This actually took place at Weddington High School, and I saw this today, and I thought, you know what? This is really, really cool. So here's a report from WBTV on something that was could have been extremely dangerous that wound up being extremely successful. So here's the report from WBTV. It's a big deal. He, did, he saved that young man's life. A Weddington High School student is alive today because of the school's resource officer who jumped in immediately when the student signaled he was choking. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Jamie Bowles. And I'm Molly Grantham. We're glad you're still here. Our Jason Puckett joins us live in Weddington with this story. Jason, take it away. Yeah, Union County Sheriff Deputy Chris Byram is the school resource officer here at Weddington High School. And on Wednesday, he made the sheriff's office and the school proud. The cafeteria at Weddington High School went from calm Wednesday to a really scary situation. A student who started choking on his food um, and you hear about those, but legitimately had it lodged in his throat. Dr. Jeff Craftson, the principal of Weddington, says the student looked around for help and spotted the school resource officer. And Deputy Byron jumped right into it. He knew right away what to do, uh, didn't hesitate. According to the Union County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Byron grabbed the student and performed multiple abdominal thrusts, helping the student clear his airway. Byron is already loved at the school. He was named the Union County SRO of the year back in 2022. And now Principal Craftson says to one student, he's a hero. He really said, I, I don't know what I would have done if Deputy Byron wasn't there. It's a big deal. He did. He saved that young man's life. 
Uh, Principal Craftson also told us how humble Deputy Byram is, and I actually saw that in action. He left the property earlier today before we could talk to him because he had to go to another school here in the county. Tomorrow morning, though, Union County sheriffs are going to come out here and speak with us and Deputy Byram, so we'll have more from him tomorrow. For now, here live at Weddington High School, I'm Jason Puckett, WBTV on your side. Well, thank you, Deputy Byram, on behalf of the whole community. It's a great story, Jason. Thank you. I told you it was actually really cool. And I know people say this all the time. Why don't you give more positive news? Give more good news. And I've told you, it's because dating back to the beginning of time when it came to newspapers, and I don't mean like back in Jesus's day, but I mean since the invention of newspapers, if it bleeds, it leads. Sensationalism, bad news sells. You know what sells almost equally as good? Stories about animals, be it a good story about an animal or a sad story about an animal. Those also sell. But bad news is what people want to hear. They want to go, oh my gosh, what's going on in the world? How can I protect my family? How can I protect my children? What do I need to know about all everything that could put me and my family in harm's way? And that's why if it bleeds, it leads. That's the whole saying where it comes from. And again, this goes back to like the 1800s, maybe even the 1700s. But again, sensationalism, things to uh, make heighten your senses, that's, the, that's what we do because that's what you want. All the data shows when we ever do good stories, whether it's about the Salvation Army or whatever, listenership, readership, viewership tanks severely. So, but I did want to throw in some good news about some things that happened down at Weddington High School because I think it's pretty important. And don't forget, there's an actual school board member who thought that all school resource officers should be done away with because it's triggering for black and brown students. Well, guess what? You know what would have happened? That kid would have died. So kudos to the school resource officer down there at Weddington High School and the Union County Sheriff's Department. All right, when we come back, let me give you an update on Maggie. It's not the world's greatest news, but I want to talk to you about it because a lot of you have reached out, and I really always appreciate the sentiment. So coming up next, everything going on with Maggie, my 14-and-a-half-year-old golden retriever. Actually, 14 years and eight months. That's how old she is right now. So anyway, we'll talk about that when we come back. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, the last segment here on this Friday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen, and I am Brett Jensen. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of update on what's going on with Maggie. I talked about it some on Tuesday morning with Bo and Beth, and some things have progressed since then. So basically, the quick rundown is this. On Monday, we did a full ultrasound from head to toe on everything going on with Maggie because she just won't eat. And like we're, we did blood work, we did everything, right? And after it was all said and done, it was about $2,000. And this is why I tell you to get pet insurance. But it was about $2,000 on Monday that I spent and put it on a credit card. And then you get reimbursed like about a week later. But nonetheless, so basically here are the results. And we had an internal specialist also take a look at Maggie. Maggie now has gone to the second stage of kidney disease. She's gone through stage one. Now she's in stage two. Just so you know, there are four stages. Four obviously being the kidneys are basically completely shutting down. and But we're not there yet. We're in the beginning of stage two. And this could happen in the last three months. It could last nine months. It could last 12 months. Like we don't know and how long and how quickly this is going to pro- progress from where we are now to how bad it is. But Maggie is just still not eating. And they said, look... It's because her kidneys are shutting down 
and it's making her feel crappy and nauseous and she just doesn't want to eat. And I am telling you, and I appreciate all the emails, but I am telling you right now, nothing is making her eat. I am giving her medicine that is supposed to make her turn into the Tasmanian devil and eat everything in sight. And she'll take a couple of nipples and that's it. Like nothing. Her actual meals for the last three days have been dog bones and Cheerios because that's just basically all she'll eat. And even then it's a struggle to get her to eat that. Boiling hamburger doesn't matter. Actually cooking a hamburger in a frying pan doesn't matter. She's not eating, and that's the biggest concern. We're also going to have to start giving her fluids to help flush out the kidneys, and that's going to be like once every three weeks or so, three to four weeks. Her blood test, like everything's normal with that. She's got a couple of cysts on her kidneys now because she's developed that you know advanced stage as well as her liver's a little bit enlarged, but that comes with age. And the vet said, Brett, you need to understand, we're just not used to dealing with golden retrievers like this because golden retrievers don't live to be 14 and 15 years old. And what you've done with Maggie is amazing, and it just shows how well you've taken care of her. So I am trying anything to get her to eat. Like, nothing is letting her eat, nothing is making her eat, and nothing sounds good to her. Like, I tried the pumpkin. I've tried everything. And I've spent probably about $1,000 now on different types of dog food to try to get her eat, whether it's, you know, Farmer's Fresh or whatever it's called, like all the different, like, specialty dog foods, Farmer's Market, Fresh Farm, whatever, whatever they're all called, nothing. Sniffs it, walks away, refuses to eat. We're on anti-nausea medicine to try and help her, but it's just not working either. So we'll see. I don't know. I just... Like, all this is going to be, like, progressing very quickly if she just doesn't eat and she's not eating. And I don't want to have to do, like, force-feeding tubes. Everything's fine. I mean, obviously, her kidneys aren't. But if she would eat, everything would be manageable. She's just not eating. And things have gotten worse in that department. It's been a struggle since June with her eating and her appetite, but it's way worse now. So that's where we are. No new updates. Like, we're going to try and see what we can do things over the weekend that's where we are. I appreciate all the suggestions and everything, but I am here to tell you medicine's not even working at this point and it is a struggle. All right, but we'll keep you updated until next week. All right, have a great weekend. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. I'm Brett Jensen and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.